Never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. Socialists don't like ordinary people choosing, for they might not choose socialism. We cannot afford to be so politically correct anymore. Conservative One with George Christensen. G'day, I'm George Christensen, host of Conservative One, the podcast defending traditions and freedom. And uh, we've got a new format, obviously, uh, for this edition. It's video, so you get to see me in all the horrifying glory. Um, uh, and also, we're slowly migrating the entire podcast of Conservative One over to a new platform. It is uh, The Good Source. Uh, it's got a range of different people yeah. On there, including the guest that I'm joined with tonight, who is a great defender of the Christian tradition and freedom in Christ, and that is Lyle Shelton. Lyle, uh, glad that you've uh, joined us for this episode of Conservative One. You've just released a new book which focuses on your very long career from local government councillor uh, through to uh, what you did when you were steering the helm at the uh, Australian Christian Lobby. Uh, so you've played a significant role, I guess, in Australian politics, not in Parliament, but uh, through the Australian Christian lobby. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and your career, particularly as it pertains to politics? Well, well thanks, George. It's great to be on your program and I, I love your podcast and, and that incredibly inspiring intro and everything that you're trying to do through this um, look, you and I go back probably 20 years or more uh, to when we were both local government councillors, you on the Mackay City Council and myself on the Toowoomba City Council. You've gone on to amazing things in the federal parliament. Uh, I've been involved in, as an activist and involved in lobby groups. Um, I have a, had a career in journalism before all that, um, worked in a church for a few years as a youth pastor, local council for six and a half years, uh, and all of these threads have been really important to my life and what I've done and given me the skills, I suppose, to uh, move on to the next battles, journalism, church work, um, local government, uh, being a member of the National Party at one stage, standing for pre-selection in, in a state seat. So, yeah, that's just a little bit of a potted history of my my background and um, I'm very thankful for all of that because it's, it's helped build upon itself for each new battle that's been ahead. Now, you've just written the book that I, uh, I've i got in my hot little hands here, I kid you not, notes from 20 years in the trenches of the culture wars, and you really have been in the trenches. Um, that uh, book, well, I've only got it yesterday, and I've, I've uh, skim-read and read the, uh, the first uh, chapter and introduction. Uh, uh, what I can see there is... Um, you know, a history of all of the cultural battles probably over the last two decades that we've had in the country, whether it be uh, obviously the same-sex marriage, which um, uh, I forget that what you described, I think it was the big kahuna of, uh, of, of the issues <laughs> out there, uh, through to um, abortion, euthanasia, uh, you name it, it's in there because you've been involved in these um, culture wars uh, how, I mean, in your role as the head and the public face of the Australian Christian Lobby, particularly through the same-sex marriage campaign, uh, 
you were targeted um, quite specifically. You talk about some pretty vile uh, Twitter hashtags that were made up about you that went that were trending and the stuff you were subject to. How did that um, How did that affect you personally? Firstly, well, George, I feel a bit embarrassed um, having someone like yourself ask me those questions. Um, and, and you and I are friends, and we go way back, but you know the answer to those questions because you've had all that thrown at yourself and probably even worse than what I have. But you can tell that story one day. Um, I'd have to say most of the stuff, and I don't know if this is what it's like for you, George, but um, the stuff that the bad guys throw at us, they don't, that doesn't worry me because you expect mm. the bad guys to be bad guys. Um, so when a Benjamin Law, you know, favourite of the ABC, um, you know, gets eat while can i say that on your family podcast yeah, you've, um, just, you've just said it <laughs> i've just said it and it's live um and i don't normally use that sort of language but um I, I, I use it I, I use it to highlight a point you know they got that trending globally on twitter after the marriage plebiscite after we lost you know as a way of sort of rubbing our nose in it literally um but it doesn't worry me you know you expect these guys they don't they don't understand what we understand about the truth and the beauty and the goodness of the things that we are fighting to defend. Um, it's probably more when you get criticism from people on your own side, and I'm sure you've experienced this, George, that's what hurts the most when um, people perhaps who you think are in your camp, um, they say things like, hey, Lyle, can you tone down your, you know, your concern about the gay marriage issue? It's not really that big a deal. You know, there's other issues that we should be fighting. Um, that sort of subtle undermining which you know in your gut that's wrong to give into because you know what's at stake. Um, but there are people on your side who want to curry favour perhaps with the left. They they want to de-escalate the culture wars. So they say, look, tone down your rhetoric. You know, you're too fixated on one issue, whether it's abortion or marriage or whatever the, issue, the particular issue of the time is, um, you know, have, have a more broad-based uh, approach because they don't understand how serious uh, the battle actually mm. is. So that's probably what hurts the most. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it's always tone it down, don't mention the war now. Yeah, exactly. Um, shut up, be quiet, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you never, ever get round to uh, tackling those issues, which yeah, are right. the big issues, um, particularly abortion. But I want to stay focused on uh, the same-sex marriage plebiscite mm. uh, for a moment. Now, I got to tell you that, um, and I think I might have relayed this to you in the past, uh, it might shock some listeners to hear my view on this, uh, that actually if I was to wave the magic wand and deal with the whole issue of marriage, I'd probably ultimately get government right out of it because um, uh, what, uh, what role does government play in regulating relationships full stop? Unless, of course, it's for a societal reason, such as uh, the regeneration of society through procreation. Mm -hmm. uh, that's gone by the wayside, to be quite honest, uh, you know, the, the, prior to even the same-sex uh, marriage plebiscite and the definition of marriage changing. So my view is, is pretty libertarian when it comes to, to that. Um, but what I did foresee uh, in that same-sex marriage plebiscite it wasn't so much to me the issue of two men wanting to get married or two women wanting to get married. In fact, uh, you know, if I had gotten a guarantee in the question that that's the only thing going to change, um, maybe I might have thought twice because, you know, that doesn't offend me. I'm talking about a, a civil uh, 
declaration by a government uh, about a registration of a relationship, um, what was at stake and what clearly has you know, come to pass uh, are all of the things that have gone along with it. That's right. Now, you were warning about that. Um, mm. Talk us through some of those concerns mm. and talk us through where we've ended up. Mm. Well, well, firstly, um, I hear what you're saying about getting government right out of marriage, and that's where, despite our wonderful friendship, George, I, I would disagree there. I think there is a role for government um, because the law is not just there to beat people over the heads if they step out of line with something. The law uh, has a function as a, as a teacher. Um, it's not just to punish people for doing evil. Um, it does have that function. Of course, you want the law to step in if a murder has been committed or serious crime and the like. But it also has a function to say this is what we as a society culturally value. And um, marriage, you know, is something which ensures that, you know, children have some sort of legal um, connection to their mother and father and of course that's all been shattered long before gay marriage came along when we you know the sexual revolution just anything goes and you know we accepted the idea that families didn't matter anymore and the family was anyone who shared a wheelie bin so it, you know I've said this before it wasn't gay marriage that destroyed marriage the heterosexuals had already trashed it for a few decades previously and, and then this came along and, and I guess this goes to you know your question about well what are the consequences? And like you, if if it was just about two people loving each other and living their own life, and you know, I probably wouldn't have died in the ditches for it either, um, notwithstanding what I just said. But the reality is, once you take away the gender diversity requirement in marriage, um, then you know you're on a slippery slope to a whole bunch of other things. And the the key changes that we've seen accelerate since the end of 2017 when the plebiscite was lost and, and the marriage act was changed in the parliament you were there for that the rainbow flag was waved on the floor of the parliament so free speech you know has gone out the window um so i'm currently can I, being can I, can I interrupt with just a little vignette uh i was there on the floor of floor of parliament mm -hmm. trying to move and vote That's for right. amendments uh to protect religious liberty Yep. Uh, a bunch of amendments, and every time those amendments failed, mm -hmm. there was cheering from the crowds Absolutely. that were assembled in the galleries. And uh, I actually made the point of saying, uh, I can't believe this. Every time mm -hmm. we've got one of these amendments which go towards religious liberty and enshrining religious liberty, a, a safeguard, uh, every time one of those amendments gets voted down, the gallery's cheering at the point of me actually saying that, the gallery started cheering, uh, right. cheering after I had just exactly articulated what I was worried about, yep. the erosion of religious liberty. The amendments that have been put forward by the member for Mali uh, go very much to the heart, again, of religious liberty that we've seen voted down again and again today in this House. And we've seen cheers from the gallery, cheering for the erosion of religious liberty, cheering for the erosion of religious liberty. You know, uh, and, and there they go, cheering again, cheering again, when I'm specifically saying eroding of religious liberty. They support that. They support that. That is the voice of tolerance today. And I am disgusted. I am absolutely disgusted that we are going down this track. So that was a real uh, 
eye-opener yeah. moment for me. I thought, yeah, my goodness, and that, it they, are, that, they really don't want religious liberty, these guys. And it wasn't those amendments that you were, you know, courageously speaking to and, and voting on when so many of your own colleagues in the in the Liberal Party, national parties, the, the parties of, of freedom and, and supporting the traditional family, you know, those amendments were simply giving effect to everything that the gay marriage campaign said would be protected um, so they said no one's freedoms would be um, protected. Right. no one's religious liberty no one's freedom of speech uh, you would still be allowed to say and believe whatever you liked about marriage even though the law the land changed um, we were concerned that degendering marriage would accelerate the whole safe schools gender fluid education of children in schools they they laughed at us and said that would never be the case that was a red herring that had nothing to do with it well within months of the law passing the queensland education minister grace grace and i say this in the book um, she was asked why is gender fluid indoctrination being taught in queensland high schools and she said well we've just had the biggest debate on marriage equality you know that was her answer to that question and yet months earlier they were saying no no you are you, Lyle and George and all those defending marriage by introducing that this was the next tranche of reform coming down the track, you know, we were throwing in red herrings and, and you know, trying to confuse the debate. We were actually spot on and, and you saw it firsthand, the hypocrisy within days um, on the floor of the parliament. So we've had a Christian school recently, Ballarat Christian College, um, sued by um, what is now... The marriage plebiscite campaign, Australian Marriage Equality, has morphed into an organisation, a standing full-time campaign organisation called Equality Australia, led by Anna Brown, one of the plebiscite leaders. She engages Clayton Utes, a big city Melbourne law firm, to go after Ballarat Christian College because there's a teacher there who doesn't want to support um, the schools and the parents' beliefs about marriage anymore because the Marriage Act has changed. And so they have to settle out of court and, and pay this rogue teacher who, who doesn't believe the school's view on marriage, they have to pay her money. Um, mm. You know, these are consequent. I, I debated Tony Abbott's sister, Christine Foster, on mm. Sky News many, many times, and we raised, I raised the issue of Christian schools mm. not being free anymore. And she said they would be free, they would not be affected. Uh, yeah, to, be to, to be fair to Christine, I mean, she's probably that someone who ultimately believes that they should be free to do what they want. The problem is that, the, as you've just said there, there are people at the head of the movement, uh, the people but in control George, of the movement, driving changes. She was a spokesperson for the movement. They put her up to debate me um, almost mm -hmm. every week on Sky for weeks on end during the plebiscite. Mm -hmm. She was... now. You know, I'd, I'd love to think what you're thinking and think the best of Christine. And, and you know, I do think she's a reasonable person. I have a lot of respect for her. But she should have come out and said, I'm really sorry that I said that because she's, you know, she's effectively been thrown under a bus by the campaign that she fronted because they have then just gone and done the things that she said on behalf of that campaign would not happen. You're listening to Conservative Wine. Okay, so tell us about some of the other changes that you've seen that have emanated since uh, then. Religious liberty, for instance. Uh, we have seen, and you've just given an example of it with this Christian school here, 
but we have seen religious liberty um, uh, eroded. Um, it was sort of that process was starting before the marriage plebiscite, yeah. but has sped up a fair bit. Um, one key thing to show that religious liberty is not secure in Australia is the case, which, again, I note is in your book, of Archbishop uh, Julian mm -hmm. Porteous in Tasmania, uh, the Catholic Archbishop who sent out a, uh, a missive to a Catholic school for the parents of Catholic school students, who probably would be Catholics, uh, mostly, yeah. um, talking about the Catholic Church's teaching on marriage and uh, for that uh, horrible crime he was brought before uh, or threatened to be brought before the Tasmanian Discrimination Tribunal. Um, the case was ultimately dropped, I think, probably because of the negative press Correct. as Correct. we headed into the uh, the campaign around same-sex marriage. Uh, but ultimately, I noted that the tribunal head or the departing tribunal head at the time said that she wished that uh, that the uh, complaint would have went through because she believed mm -hmm. that there was a case to answer. Correct. That's exactly um, right insane stuff i mean if you really process that um for articulating a religious belief to people who should be of the same faith within your own sort of church structure which the schools are um you can fall afoul of anti-discrimination laws that's accelerated Absolutely. hasn't it it has indeed and and that lies there as as uh, a weapon uh, against anyone who dares now dissent from what is now a new law of the land. I mean, the Porteous case, it, it's iconic, and there are others as well. There's Campbell Markham, also a Presbyterian minister down in Tasmania, subject to similar sort of legal action. Uh, I'm currently being sued by a, a drag queen uh, through the Queensland Human Rights uh, Commission uh, under the uh, 1991 Anti-Discrimination Act. And, and this is the point, this might all sound, you know, technical sort of legal mumbo jumbo to many of your viewers, George, but it's really important because our whole argument was that if you change the definition of marriage, you will weaponize uh, these state-based anti-discrimination laws um, that exist in every state and also at a federal level. And that's what Porteous got tripped up on um, because he put out his beautiful pastoral letter, don't mess with marriage. I've read it. There's nothing bigoted or homophobic. It just simply says the church's teaching is that marriage is between a man and a woman. Children, wherever possible, deserve the love of their mother and father. That's something that is broken through uh, same-sex marriage and, and same-sex fa family formation. doesn't mean gay people can't be good parents. Of course they can. But two blokes can't be a mother uh, and two women can't be a father. And, and children, for all sorts of emotional and sociological reasons, need the complementary love of both. And, and that's why the government should be interested in marriage, to create an environment where this is what we encourage. I mean, we all know that marriages end because of tragedy and divorce and desertion. No one thinks those are good things, but let's encourage through public policy what we know is good. And, and that's all that Porteous was saying, and yet he was sued. And, and this is the point we kept saying over and over again, if you're going to change the marriage law, okay, fine, we don't agree with that, but you must then create uh, a Commonwealth override of state-based anti-discrimination law so that freedom of speech can exist, so that people can say that, um, I believe that marriage is man-woman, 
without that then triggering some vilification uh, or someone taking offence. I mean, literally the, the bar is as low as offence in some of these state-based laws. Yeah. And people get offended if you say that, I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. Well, that excludes me and you're being bigoted and therefore I'm going to run right. a case up through the commission. So that hasn't been protected, George. And um, unfortunately, your, uh, your discrimination bill that your Attorney General, Christian Porter, and I should say ours because well, I'm, I'm an aspiring member of the LNP, uh, but um, it doesn't address that issue, which is one of the biggest issues mm. of the whole marriage mm. campaign because it's just too hard for the government to, to handle. Mm. Mm. So do you think that a religious discrimination bill or a religious liberty bill is something that is needed? Um, because I note there are... Uh, to, let me let me backtrack a bit. Religious freedom and religious liberty to me is is the ditch that you know politically we need to die in. Um, if we don't have that, we don't have anything. So to me, this is a fundamental issue. Um, you know, not just because uh, I'm a Christian. Um, this is for people of all faith and people of no faith because. Uh, Religion is about belief. Belief is about thought. Um, you know, if you don't have freedom of religion, you essentially don't have an aspect of freedom of thought. And that is just terrible. I mean, the fact is that we've got government laws and rules and regulations and tribunals that have taken away or chipped away at that freedom of religion, which is an aspect of freedom of thought and freedom of belief and freedom of choice. So we need to... I think fix that somehow. The best thing that I heard another one of the good source uh, uh, contributors, um, Reverend James McPherson, say would be not to have new laws, but to get rid of all the bad laws. I mean, yeah. we could only wish that's probably unlikely to happen. So, what do you think is the route that we should take to uh, to yeah. fix this major problem of the chipping away of religious liberty? Yeah, well, look, I agree with James and I was going to say that um, that would have been my response to your, your question. Um, we, we have to, you know, get rid of the state-based anti-discrimination laws. Now, I think there should be, I think there's a reasonable case for discrimination law when it comes to race. Um, mm -hmm. But when you um, uh, have subjective lines, when it, when it comes to, you know, gender and sexual orientation and all this sort of stuff, um, and it can be something, uh, you know, as low a bar as causing offence and, and then, you know, you can go after someone in a legal process. Well, that's just crazy. That That is a diminu diminution of not just freedom of religion, and I agree with everything you said about freedom of religion because, you know, that goes to the basis of people's you know, freedom as human creatures. Mm -hmm. um, but just under 5 million Australians voted no on that plebiscite. This is an issue of freedom of speech for them, and, and these laws affect them. So I think you've got to at least, if you can't abolish or, or severely defang the state-based anti-discrimination laws, then you've got to have some sort of a Commonwealth override of them. Now, I floated that during the plebiscite, and, mate, all mm. hell broke loose. Um, they, they said that I wanted laws to enable bigotry, you know, this is how they frame the conversation. And I think, you know, in part because of that I'll, dynamic, I'll, I'll, the, the I'll Rudder Commission scripted. Yeah. I'll, I'll double down on that. I mean, George Brandis got in trouble for saying people have the right to be a bigot. Well, Mr President, people do have a right to be bigots, you know. Let me actually say, he's right.
people do have the right to be bigoted if they want to be. Uh, that's about thought. Uh, I mean, it's not a great thing to be a bigot, but if you want to be a bigot, that's your right. That is thought. But in a free society, you, you call that out and you, and you have that debate in the public square. You don't need to then have this litigious culture where yeah. anyone who's offended by your bigotry mm. can take you off to, to court. But, but, George, I'm perplexed as to why um, Christian Porter's process in the wake of the Ruddock Commission to Religious Freedom, which ran for over a year, achieved virtually you know, very little and, mm. and, and missed the big issue when it comes to freedom of speech and freedom of religion, and that is um, the weaponization of state-based anti-discrimination law. That that whole process and, and the draft bill that Christian Porter has, which I now understand is probably not going to see the light of day until after the election, if at all, the can has been kicked down the road because of COVID and, and the like, and it's just too hot for the government to handle, um, that, that bill does nothing to protect free speech, does nothing to stop another... Um, Julius Porter's case. Uh, it's mm. to me, it's a waste of time. Um, I think there's some moves. To be yeah. fair, there were some moves uh, in the um, second draft of that uh, religious discrimination bill to uh, try and tidy that up. Um, I got to say that um, without uh, telling the public of how the sausage is made, that I um, have had a fair bit to do with trying to get in a Julian Porteous protection clause into that. Uh, into that bill so we'll see um when it does pop out the other end and hopefully it's a perfect looking um uh, yeah uh, well my, my observations <laughs> these days are as you know someone who's sitting well outside the process so that heartens me to hear that george so thank you that's mm. good on you so um you in chapter 14 i'm not sure whether this is um uh, a self-referential uh title or not but chapter 14 is titled in your book of course uh this one, I kid you not. Um, <laughs> chapter 14 is titled Successful Failure. i got to say, mm. um, I sort of know what you're getting at when you say successful failure because sometimes looking back on even all of the fights and all of the things that I've been involved in, I go, boy, it's <laughs> a lot of losses there. Yeah. Uh, it feels good at the time, but, uh, I mean, you sort of begin to wonder after a while. Is, is that self-referential, Lyle? What do you mean by successful failure <laughs> uh, look uh, the book is a chronicle of failure i think there's only two campaigns in the entire book over 20 years that were successful one was the um, toowoomba water debate about drinking recycled sewage that was a, yep. a plebiscite that i fought malcolm turnbull was involved in it. i, 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 saw I was that. involved on the winning <laughs> side against malcolm turnbull on that one and then we, we faced off 10 years later in the marriage debate uh, and then the other success was um, a campaign that you and I were involved in around um, mm -hmm. changes to what was allowed in strip clubs, the most obscene things, mm -hmm. and I won't repeat it here, mm -hmm. you can read the book. So those two campaigns were successful. The rest was a failure. Successful failure, that, that chapter specifically relates to the 18 months I spent with Corey Bernardi's um, fledgling Australian Conservatives. I guess um, you know tens of thousands of Australians flocked to his mm -hmm. party when he left uh, the Liberal Party. Mm. And um, as he would say, he, he would feel that he didn't leave the Liberal Party. The Liberal Party left him. Um, and he stood up for principles of smaller government, obviously, you know, mm. the, the family and social policy issues, um, a, a decent energy policy that wasn't beholden to climate cult ideology, a whole range of things which were very attractive to mainstream Australians like myself. And I'd just come off the back of the marriage campaign and, and I just, uh, yourself obviously accepted 
um, George, and I, and I have you know enormous respect for you and and a handful of your colleagues who, who do sweat blood and put your head above the parapet and pay an enormous price that people don't know about. But I, I also saw you know sadly guys like you are few and far between. I, I just saw so many good people in the parliament capitulating and just not having the strength to meet the challenge that was coming from the aggressive left. And so I joined Corey's party, came up back up to Queensland, my home state, and organised the party here, ran for the Senate, and we lost spectacularly. Now, ScoMo, you know, rode in and, you know, dispatched with Turnbull, which was a big, you know, reason why many of us joined the Conservatives. Uh, so that really, you know, cut our grasp, but by then we'd, we'd come too far to stop. Um, and look, I think, you know, the LNP will probably disagree with this, um, although many of its grassroots won't, but I think we helped, um, you know, nudge the party back more to the centre-right uh, from its drift to the extreme left, and, and ScoMo certainly pivoted more in that direction, and people flocked back to him at the election, and he won the miracle election. And I tell you, George, no one was more thrilled about that result than Australian Conservative supporters, even though we did so dismally that the Marijuana Party and the Animal Rights Party beat us for votes but we knew that we'd made a contribution to helping, um, you know, get the conservative side of politics back on track some, some, to some degree. So I guess that's what we refer to there. So you've experienced uh, all of these losses that you talk about in your book over some critical issues and some of them that I, uh, you know, I, I really do um, feel very sad over. I mean, deeply depressed over some of them, like the abortion debate and the trajectory that uh, that laws regarding abortion um, have in this country. Uh, where do you think we are heading? I mean, because I've had discussions with you in the past where I'm very, very pessimistic about uh, uh, the state of affairs and uh, where we might be going uh, as a nation and as a civilization. You seem to have hope despite this sort of... Um, successful failure uh mm. you know what you've quoted there uh, about mm. past campaigns and uh, where do you think we're going law i think we are on a downward trajectory um that's that's just the objective reality of where we are but i like you george i take hope in christ um and i also look at history and what I see is the hand of providence the hand of god in history and it shows us that it's cyclical um I'm still, you know, I can still remember when Soviet communism was invincible and yet that that came crashing down. No one thought it would. Uh, I think the edifice that the cultural left has constructed uh, in our societies is just as rotten as that. And I think it just takes a few brave people, as it did for communism. You had Reagan uh, in your wonderful, inspiring intro and Thatcher, you know, Reagan, Thatcher, and Pope John Paul II, they just determined in the face of the lies, again, of, of the left, which many parts of academia in the West were apologists for Soviet communism, despite the evidence of, of its bloody um, history. Uh, and so Thatcher, Reagan, Pope John Paul II just determined to keep speaking truth to culture. And I think, I, I have a firm conviction that Average Australians, whether they are people of faith like you and I or just ordinary people, if they get to hear the truth, they will go 
um, what the heck is that about? I, I mean, I don't think the average Australian supports the killing of, of babies in the womb, particularly at the late-term stage, and yet that's yeah. the laws that have been rammed through our parliament, um, and, and they're not debated properly, and the media gives the left a leave pass all the time, so the issues are never properly ventilated, so the average Australian doesn't see them, and then people like you and I are just vilified and demonised as hard mm. right, you know, some pejorative mm. is put in front of, you know, we're controversial, so people don't even take a look at our arguments, and it's all designed to shut down the debate. Um, I'm optimistic because I think if enough of us um, can can keep putting the truth out there and if Australians can hear it through the filter, and that's why podcasts like this are so important and, and, and books like I've just written which expose what goes on behind the scenes, I think that can help um, create a movement that will see what is, in my view, a rotten fence, just having a whole bunch of people who suddenly have their eyes open to the truth push on that rotten fence and suddenly it falls over like the Berlin Wall does. So I, I'm optimistic, mm. but... I'm under no illusions about how difficult it is for those of us yeah. who are in the trenches. I think that in your book, the uh, the quote that you open up with from uh, Cardinal Francis George is quite uh, poignant for uh, what we're talking about and where we're heading. I expect to die in bed. My successor will die in prison and his successor will die a martyr in the public square. Mm. His successor will pick up the shards of a ruined society and slowly help rebuild civilization as the church has done so often in human history. I think that that pretty much sums it up. Thanks very much, Lyle. Pleasure, George. Thanks for Is having me. Is there something else you wanted to say there before we go? Uh, just, just to pay homage to the man who wrote the forward and uh, Jim Wallace, who was my great mentor um, at Australian Christian Lobby, a great Australian who served in the SAS and commanded our yeah. Army's Mechanised Brigade. Great guy. He, um, he opened that, that quote from Cardinal George is what he chose uh, for the start of the forward that he uh, wrote for the book. And it was a great privilege for me to have my friend and mentor uh, write that forward and open up with that quote. Um, and yeah, I, I joke with Jim that the forward is the most coherent piece of writing in the whole book but uh, if people buy it just buy it for jim's forward i'm sure it's not uh in fact i've bumped into people that have asked me to pick up copies uh when i see you next week so uh i, I understand that it's gone into a second print as well yes george we're just about to we're, uh, the first print of a thousand copies is almost gone and um mm. so I'm, I'm i'll be busy this weekend just correcting a few spelling mistakes and grammatical errors so the second print run will um hopefully be out uh, shortly so th that that's encouraging i'm, I'm really yeah. blown away by the feedback and the support for the book and look, before i do do the proper wrap-up um uh, uh, i had a false start there before but uh, before we do do the proper wrap-up where can people go to find your book uh you can get it from my website uh, lyleshelton.com.au Yep, and it's published by Connor Court. How much is Connor, it retailing for? Connor Court, yes, great conservative publishers. Um, and it's, it retails for um, uh, $30, but um, with $5 for postage and handling. So $35 okay. if you buy it off the website. Okay. Fantastic. LyleShelton.com.au. Thanks very much for joining us. Lyle Shelton. Thanks very much, George. God bless you. We will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. You've been listening to The Conservative One Podcast with George Christensen.